Batman. Welcome to your weekly therapy session in case you're a Manchester United fan and your weekly circle joke in case you're a Liverpool or a Real Madrid fan. As it so happens, I'm joined by both a Liverpool and a Real Madrid fan. Guys, how are you doing? We've been away for a while because of life and the things that it brings along with itself. But it's glad I'm glad to be back. I am so glad to be back as well. This has felt like uh, it's felt like a bit of an international break, I feel, for our listeners. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's been a while and I'm so glad to be back I'm so glad to be back doing this again um, Saro how are you doing my friend I'm good man and yeah it's always good to be back speaking with you all about football so yeah me too I felt like we had taken a quite a long break but again happy to uh, come back it's good times good times um, unfortunately though good times uh are hard to come by for Abhimanyu and his beloved Manchester United. And that is what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about United, their uh, troubles. We actually projected good fin- good league finishes and cup performances for them this season. But that's just seemed to go have gone downhill. Um, there's a lot going around around the club. And we're just here to dissect it and see what's going on. So Abhimanyu being the expert that you are you want to clue us in yeah and uh keeping the off the field issues aside for a minute just looking at what's happening uh, at the club structurally and from an on the field tactical perspective right because the off the field issues are like it's another conversation of its own and yeah no need to get into that but uh when Eric Tenag came to Manchester United, we thought it would be more of an Ajax mold of football, right? It would be high possession, circulating the ball expansively all around the pitch, drawing out opponents and, you know, creating space in behind in order to exploit them and score basically a ton of goals. Uh, and you would be right, but this guy is also sort of a pragmatist. He doesn't like uh, being molded into sort of being shoehorned into one uh, philosophical now. He likes to adapt with the players he has at hand, which is why if you look at the 2018-19 version of Ajax and the 21-22 version of Ajax, it was a starkly different styles, right? Because, and it was particularly because of the players he had available at hand, you know. Uh, in the 18-19 version, he had players like uh, Frankie De Jong, uh, Daily Blind, Lasse Sean, all people who were, uh, you know, good with the ball at the feet, not necessarily as good when they didn't have the ball, right? So the obvious thing to do was to play a high possession style of football, to have much more of the ball such that uh, you could make the most of the player strengths that you had. And once they lost those players, you know, either due to age, due to players moving on, due to bigger clubs coming and swooping them from Ajax, he sort of transitioned into a more, let's say, for the lack of a better word, counter-attacking style of football where he would try to bait an opposition press and use the space left in between the opposition lines in order to generate transitional moments. That's basically how Brighton play in the Premier League, right? And it's it's nothing new. You've seen Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do that uh, when Manchester United were at their best under him. And you've also seen Pep Guardiola do that multiple times when he's struggling to you know break an opponent press down. So, if I were to describe uh, Eric Ten Hag 
and Etenag's ideas or principles before he came to Manchester United. I would say it's short space build up in your own half in order to bait a press from the opponent and then therefore create spaces and use one touch high tempo football in the opposition half to uh, generate transitional moments, generate chances once you do progress the ball. And then of course, you're going to press high when you don't have the ball. And if you go long in order to beat a press, you're going to counter press immediately from the players you have in front. And you're going to do that through the means of a 3-1-6 structure where you have a back three, a situational back three, one pivot, lone pivot in front of them and six players right into the opposition half when you do have the ball. So, and for that to work, you know, you need to have three players in the situational back three who are like really, really good at progressing the ball. And that one lone pivot midfielder needs to be a really good dribbler. And if we take a look at the starting 11 against Wolves, right, that Manchester United put out, I think it was Luke Shaw, Lissandro Martinez, uh, Diego, Aaron Wan Bissaka, and Rafael Varan. That was the back four. And it was Casemiro who was the uh, defensive midfielder. And to our audience, if you've, like, you know, uh, heard, the previous episodes, we've pointed out how Varan and Casemiro basically are non-existent in the build-up. They don't, they just don't have the technical prowess to, you know, get away from people, dribble away from people, carry the ball, or just, you know, receive the ball under pressure. So right off the bat, the short space build-up in a 3-1-6 structure is out of the window, right? In spite of having a ball-playing goalkeeper in Onana in your team, it's it's just not possible with the lack of certain profiles within that 316 structure. So he moves to, uh, you know, playing long, basically using Onana's distribution to his advantage is playing long and trying to put six players up front and counter press and win the second balls. The issue with that, though, and this is like really funny, you're going to laugh at this. Our players are not good at winning second balls or aerial duels for that matter. So it's basically set up for failure from both sides, right? And uh, what that does is pressing so high, you know, it, it leaves so many gaps in the midfield. The, the, the spaces between the defensive lines are like like <sighs> wide apart. And you have a 31-year-old defensive midfielder on his own in that 316 structure, responsible for covering the entire space. And that's what leads to so many shots against your defense and your goalkeeper and you conceding at basically a truckload of goals. So that that's how I would explain Manchester United's defensive woes for this season. Mm-hmm. Saru, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think he's kind of covered everything that was there to cover regarding how poor they've been defensively. I mean, I think United have conceded around 30 goals in 16 games so far or something like that. Which is just quite a lot of goals, yeah. and um, you know we saw yesterday as well. They considered four to Cop- Copenhagen, and you know a lot of other games where they've just considered more two or more goals, which is quite simply uh, not you know not helping their cause. And you know unfortunately they can't score that many goals either. Um, Hoyland, for as good as he's been in the Champions League, he hasn't been able to kind of be that guy in the Premier League and you know he's being and in fact I saw some stat which is like Man United's entire attacking line has like one goal between them which was Rashford in the Premier League compared to like I don't know Darwin has like three or something like that which 
it's quite you know explains that even their attackers are not really doing their job in terms how, of scoring how long goals. Is this, so this stat is how long uh, over how many games? Last I checked, it was I think before the most recent Premier League game. So um, yeah, and it still hasn't changed game, yeah. as far as I am. Yeah, yeah the forwards still because, haven't really chipped in. Yeah. No, but yeah. uh, has it? Is Couldn't, is this? Mm-hmm. Oh, is this since the beginning of the season? Yeah, yeah, since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> Whoa, that is insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the and defenders uh, have been scoring more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- and that that's Scott brings us to the current state of United. You know, it's like relying on people for moments. And uh, the way yeah. we, if you look at the way we played against Sheffield, against Fulham, against these teams, right, against Burnley, it's it's designed for one particular player. And that particular player is Scott McTominay to crash the box and just, uh, you know, weave some Scottish magic and uh, put the ball into the back of the net. Because he's he's the only player who's been putting the ball into the back of the net. And, you know, managers, they do this, right? When they're hunting for goals, they sacrifice some of their more technically gifted players in order to play the players who are are on a run of goal-scoring form. And uh, we've seen this before at Manchester United where... Uh, Louis Van Hal, I think he dropped Angel Di Maria in order to play Ashley Young and Marouan Fellini, and it it was like really strange, you know. But and and we seem to have come full circle to that where he's designing his entire system to suit one player who's on a hot run of goal scoring form, while not at the same time trying to optimize his structure to best suit his players who are dangerous on the break, i.e., Marcus Rashford and Rasmus Hoyland. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think so. There have been a couple uh, of very well documented issues at United, uh, with respect to um the forms of Onana and Rashford respectively. Also, the injury issue is is quite apparent at Man Man United. So you have at the moment, I think, Lissandro out. Casemiro mm-hmm. out, although I'm not sure yeah. how much Casemiro contributes to the overall thing. Um, you have uh, Luke Shaw, Shaw out. out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Shaw is out. Who else is out? Uh, Kobe Mainu was out. Uh, yeah. And Martial yeah, is always out. Yeah, Van Bissaka is, Van is coming back. back. He played yesterday, but yeah. he's, he's still not up to full fitness. As Mount also just came back. Yeah, Mount is also yeah, Mount just is is Amrabat injured now or is he? No, okay. no, he's no. he's a bench rider currently. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, so okay, I think okay. like this dilemma that we're in. First of all, come with with respect to the injuries, it's directly down to the play style. It's just too much load. It's unsustainable. That much running, cover covering that many spaces. Uh, it's and most of the injuries are non-contact muscular injuries, which means. To begin with, there is too much load. So, uh, that's directly down to the manager's play style. Uh, there's no other way to, to put that. There's also, you had the insanely wrong, long uh, preseason compared to other teams. You guys played like exactly, yeah, that's a good point. Games yeah. in the preseason as well. Eight games, I yeah, think, across multiple continents. I think, whoa, whoa, wait, what? How many continents yeah. was it? Yeah, we had games in Europe. In We had some in England. We had some in USA. Uh, like all over the place. Like I've lost count at this wow. point. Pretty yes, sure we had yes. somewhere in Northern Europe in Copenhagen or somewhere. 
as well so that like... does make sense okay. because preseason is usually more of a commercial thing um is in addition yeah. to being a preseason so you usually do it in places that where you don't generally play so doing it in europe is kind of strange um yeah, yeah i was going to say something yeah so kobe minor was actually injured in the real madrid preseason game and yeah. uh, it was a bit of a long term one how, how where is how is he coming along he's back in squad training and he's played a few under 19 games he has okay. been on the bench recently in the premier league games although he hasn't been given a chance to start yet and i desperately want that to change but and and the thing is directly i want that to change because it helps her build up directly he he can do things on the ball that other midfielders at this club can't do and but i believe you I, told me amrabat was going to be there i'm sorry to interrupt but amrabat mm-hmm. was supposed to be that guy right yeah but not to the same extent that we would want in a 316 structure right so amrabat is a double pivot midfielder and that's that's how he has if you have to use him in a build up you have to use him in a in a double pivot in a two you can't use him as a one because if you have to play in a one you have to be like a really good dribbler and uh, and amrabat is not a frankie de jong right who can do that who can play in that one kobe mainu maybe can uh, he's still really raw really young but he has all the tools to be able to do that and this is what brings me to the disconnect between the system that he wants to play and the recruitment that he has conducted over the summer i mean if you guys were following me on my ig stories you you would you would remember that i wasn't really a fa- fan of the mason mount deal right i wasn't really mm-hmm. uh, moved by that particularly moved by that because i assume that once this guy has gotten rid of david deha brought in andre onana as a more competent ball playing goalkeeper that he is trying to resolve a build up issue and therefore he would bring in a more frankie deong esque midfielder to play alongside casemiro and help solve the build up issues but he goes for mason mount in an attempt to move our in an attempt to improve our counter pressing and pressing which is already pretty decent i mean it didn't need a drastic improvement so this is another sort of disconnect that he uh, he sorts to have fostered he he seems to have fostered within the club where he needs a certain profile but instead of that prioritizes completely dip, something completely different and this was symptomatic in the wolves game where they completely blocked out the center of the pitch right and casemiro was in no position to dribble through the wolves block and you basically just had to like go long you know and i think this is what manchester united fans are frustrated over like we shouldn't be playing long ball football we should be able to play good football and i thought i saw glimpses of that in last night's game against copenhagen where he completely changed his structure by the way uh he saw that these players are not good problem solvers under pressure and he asked them to be more rigid so the structure yesterday in last night's game versus copenhagen it was more of a 4-2 build up structure where the both the center backs would split wide the full backs would push slightly higher but the double pivot would be really close to them so you could play like one touch passes around the mm-hmm. people who are pressuring right. you and sort of maneuver mm-hmm. them create spaces allow your uh, forwards to drop into space you know turn progress dribble with the ball progress a bit and it was working right until that for the first 30 minutes it was working until that red card and it completely capitulated so but <laughs> that's another story we don't need to get into that but but moving forward this is what i'd like to see from united more of one touch pro- close proximity football 
such that the distances between the defensive lines are reduced and we can just progress the ball from back to front without having to boot it long all the time and giving it back to the opposition. I think that's a reasonable demand. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I'm curious who who was the two who were the two in the pivot yesterday? So it was uh, McTominay and Ericsson. And okay. the way he's been using McTominay recently is more of a is more of a 10, right? Yeah. So that once he plays the the long ball, McTominay is in close proximity to go and win the second ball because that's something he's relatively good at. But today but yesterday they asked him to be a bit more positionally disciplined. They asked him to stick, hold his position, and provide an out ball such that the defender who is in possession of the ball can play a bounce pass and you know like run yeah, into space yeah. with the ball and try and switch the ball out wide or play a forward pass. So and okay. and I I saw glimpses of good football yesterday. I don't want to say like we suddenly like oh yeah we're so back you know but. Uh, <laughs> It, it's just, we, we, we can't have nice things at the moment. I think when it rains, it pours when you're in a bad run. Of yeah. Pool. Yeah. I mean, feed of the yeah. scraps that you can get, right? Um, but yeah, it is a dark time. I think you had to win the Copenhagen game because let's, you've been taking for granted that you lose the Bayern game. Um, yeah. So it, it essentially comes down to the Galatasaray game. Uh, no, but then if Galatasaray beat. Which Copenhagen, is not an easy place to go to. Yeah, but if Galatasaray beat Copenhagen and you beat Galatasaray, that would still mean Galatasaray go through, right? Yeah, I, I think Copenhagen are currently on seven points. Uh, Bayern are oh, really? on 12. Yeah, they're on seven points. Yeah, uh, yeah, seven. yeah uh, Galatasaray on four and Manchester United are on three. So, and Copenhagen are playing Bayern next. And and Bayern, the, if you if you watched a bit of Bayern this season, they aren't really reliable. You know, you can't really count on them. Uh, it's it's like <laughs> it's like most of their wins are like late wins. Uh, yeah, yesterday also team. they scored two in eighty-six. Yeah, it's it's not really convincing from their end. Like at least not as convincing as you'd want Bayern to be. So I think yeah. they have at least one draw or one sneaky loss in them. <laughs> So I, you know what, you know what I'm hoping for. I'm just hoping for Manchester United to just go crash out of the Champions League to finish fourth, because to to crash out of the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Because and there's a reason for no, it. Because Europa I don't want I, no, no, no Europe. I don't want to play a round of thirty-two again, man. No way. <laughs> uh, and the the reason for that is that I think the last thing these players need is more games. That's the last thing they need, I, and. We need to avoid injuries and we need more time on the training pitch. Because if you saw yesterday when we went down to 10 men, I mean, a simple cross at the back post with a run in behind and these people are not able to defend. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's what a side who's chasing a game is going to do against a low block, against a deep block. How are you not prepared for that scenario? So, I just think this team needs a week between games in order to like drill the principles of close proximity transitional football into them so that they can start playing better and I don't think more games is going to help that and if you want to finish in the top 4 for next season having less games is a better thing yeah no that's true that's true Um, 
so you mentioned that they need more time on the training pitch do you have the right guy to drill those training principles into them oh yeah absolutely i i have no doubt about this coach's ability to coach it's mm-hmm. when you add the responsibilities of recruitment and sort of managing the entire situation as sir alex ferguson used to do is that when it becomes an impossible task for anyone else right i think this guy should just be allowed to coach he shouldn't be given any power over recruitment because he seems to be confused with regards to the profiles that he wants to recruit versus the profiles that he actually needed in the summer right and uh, that's where i feel like the new minority investment in sir jim ratcliffe him establishing actually a capable football structure where the decision making is is resolute it's it's sound is is going to be a big help to eric i think coaching wise he has pedigree definitely does um uh, you don't you, you you can't say that he doesn't have pedigree if all he's done in his ajax career is bring bring young players through and drill those principles of positional play and at the same time transitional play into them and have them perform at the highest level and then you know have big clubs come and bid for those players you you don't do something like that if you're not a good coach right and look at what ajax is going through right now right yeah. mm-hmm. i was going to say yeah so i feel like we have the right coach i don't think we have the next sir alex ferguson <laughs> i don't think we are ever going to have the next sir alex ferguson so we have a good coach let's just equip him with a good structure i've heard paul mitchell's name being floated around for director of football which i think would be a good move personally because he has past history with monaco with tottenham with the red bull clubs and i think uh, maybe sato can shed light on this i think he was being linked to liverpool before the start of the summer uh, but that sort of died down i don't know what went wrong with that uh yeah but yeah a director of football is a must because the two that we have in charge richard, richard arnold and john murto i mean it, there's no communication from them there's no set structure about what the what vision the recruitment process follows it seems like it's just eric tenha calling the shots which is which is how it shouldn't be i mean every top club you look at ange postecoglou's tottenham side they have a clear plan of how they want to play with a director of football behind them who's going to make the recruitment decisions with the recruitment team and the coach is just going to coach so i think that's the way forward for manchester united and they have to get worse before they get better unfortunately Yeah, Spurs had a had a great start to the season, and their recruitment this season has especially been quite quite good because I mean high profile signing they had Madison, but other than that they've signed some unknown players like Mandevin uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Vicario, who have just kind of come in and been some of their best players this season. So mm-hmm. they're definitely having a good football, you know, structure is. is quite essential and i think like you mentioned they're also benefiting from having more time on the training ground because they also don't have any european yeah. football to play so that also helps them yeah yeah we are we are reaching a stage in football where it's repeatable sustainable patterns coached into players will produce results on the pitch i don't think we can we will ever move back into an era where it's 
eleven world class players making individual decisions for themselves, right? Uh, I think, I think maybe Tridip would agree that uh, that was what Real Madrid were like for a bit in between when you were just winning Champions Leagues for fun, where it would yeah. be yeah eleven world class players extent. just doing their thing. Still are? Do yeah. you think you still are? To an extent, I think we dip, not eleven world class players at this point. I think it's more like four or five. Um, but but yeah, I think we can definitely, from a Real Madrid point of view, we can be a lot more assertive than we are, and we're just banking on some individual quality more than we should. Um, I don't think that, like you said, I don't think that's a very sustainable form of play. I don't think you should. Mm-hmm. Your team should. Your the success of your team should bank on how a certain crop of players are doing, and mm-hmm. there should be like Man City, like um, I don't know. Man City for now, there should be a, a a way of play that's consistent no matter who plays, mm-hmm. and exactly. that that yeah that will carry on you know regardless. It's timeless to an extent. It's timeless, so it perseveres. Um, yeah, so and... I think that's that journey to 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 achieving that for Manchester United is is yeah like you said it it gets it's gonna get worse before it gets better yeah and every time we seem to come close we just hit the self-destruct button you know it's like really frustrating yeah and we had something under ollie where it was you know that four to build up that i keep talking about yesterday that was ollie gunner soldier football like that's that's exactly what ollie gunner soldier football was like right and and all he needed was like a a few additions in depth in the forward line and a defensive midfielder and we failed to give him that in order to become a top footballing side, and we ended up, you know, let's not talk about that. Otherwise, a certain individual player's fan base is going to jump on our backs. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I mean, it's it's frustrating for sure as a Manchester United fan. But uh, yeah, uh, suffering builds character. <laughs> what else can I say at this point? So I just wanted to discuss. Uh, um... I don't know why, but I've, of late I've been watching Marcus Rashford, and mm-hmm. he just seems extremely out of it. Uh, this is yeah. sort of taking away from the current stream of conversation, but he just looks very out of it. Um, he he seems mm-hmm. extremely selfish. There are so many times where he can pass, but he'll just hold on to the ball a lot more. He mm-hmm. there are passes to Hoyland, crosses to Hoyland that are mm-hmm. begging to be made, but he's just not going to do that. Just hold on to it. Mm-hmm. More than he should, and he reminds me of Vinicius a lot right now. The current version yeah. of Vinicius, um, and I, it's really annoying to see because the thing with Rashford is that he has all the fundamentals locked down, right? So he's got yeah. the ball control, he's got the yeah. shot, he's got the passing, yeah. he's got everything. The building blocks are there. It's just yeah. the maturity and the ability to know when to release it and when not to. Yeah, and 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 I don't think people realize how good a player he really is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he has some insane ability. And see, there's a tactical reason as well for why he's suffering. So, uh, prior to this 4-2 build-up that we tried yesterday, right, I was mentioning the 3-1-6 structure, right? And uh, yeah. whenever we would have difficulty breaking the lines with that, one of the fullbacks, and most more frequently than not, it would be Dallo, who was playing on the left, would invert into midfield to form a 3-2. And that would leave Rashford right isolated on the left wing, holding just basically holding the width, right? And whenever we would switch to him, it would be him 
being doubled up against both the neighboring fullback and the center back and i don't care how good a dribbler you are you're not going to beat your man in that situation right like nine times nine times out of 10 you're going to lose you're going to try something and you're going to lose the ball so the structure that we've been playing so far was not suited to his strengths he needs an overlapping fullback definitely to support him in those situations and he needs a half space run from a midfielder to make a run into that half space so that they can combine with each other and make use of his mobility right so to speak in and around the box and yesterday you saw glimpses of that prior to when he got sent off and he was playing on the right and Aaron Van Bissaka was making those overlapping runs McTominay was making an under underlapping run into the box that's how the first goal came it was the three of them Rashford Aaron Van Bissaka and Scott McTominay combining producing a through ball and producing a cross and Holland was on the end of that chance so that that's how that first goal came so yeah that basically just comes back to us not putting our best players in the best situations possible not manufacturing the best possible situations for them which is why it looks uh, really bad and if you don't give your player the tools to succeed on the pitch their confidence inadvertently goes down right like you can't help it and once the confidence goes down the finishing you start missing open goals and you start trying to look for a pass where you should just bury the shot and stuff like that happens man it's it's just low confidence yeah i feel like rashford is like one of those players which is like you know they need that kind of confidence to go for them i mean yeah. i'm not saying no no one can you know all players need that kind of confidence but i'm saying rashford kind of needs it a bit more he needs one of those players who needs a little bit more love and you know yeah yeah that way he he yeah, scores in the performances so I feel like whenever he's under the radar or he's getting scrutinized i feel like it kind of gets to we saw that kind of happen in the season before last i think uh, you know when ronaldo was there and you know that that season the one where you know he finished sixth he had a pretty ordinary season but then he bounced back and a lot of it was just down to his confidence and you know everything in where he was you know shooting was going inside the net so yeah i think it's just he's one of those players who needs that kind of uh, love so to say to kind of help him succeed in 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 front of goal especially in terms of uh, helping his team win so at the moment that's not happening for him yeah and i think for that reason this new sort of the structure that ten hag tried in yesterday's game it should continue doesn't matter you lost the game you shipped four goals big deal man it's luton town the next game that's the perfect game to try this again and see if it bears fruit and i i don't see why it won't to be honest yeah um luton town next and then i think the next few are actually a lot kinder to you um in in terms of fixtures um but of course the champ and you got an international break coming up as well so ten hag's got a bit of time to work with his players uh over the coming weeks but the the stretch of games after the international break will be really uh will be of paramount importance to the team both in terms of confidence and also uh in terms yeah. of uh, a barometer for how ten hag responds to sort of this criticism that is becoming more and more widespread within the media of late yeah. um so it's an important time for manchester united i think it's crucial that they get a win at luton at home this weekend i believe um yes 
they need to enter this international break on a high and uh, really use that on the training pitch to 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 get these Den Haag principles to heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. Uh, just a quick prediction, guys. Do you think at all uh, there comes a time where the club needs to sack him? Within this season, you mean? Yeah, within this season. Sarah, you want to take this first? I mean, it's quite hard to say because, I mean, if you sack him, who will you bring in and will he be any better exactly. than... That's my answer. Logically, you can't just afford to. Yeah. It, logically, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, Graham Potter. Yeah, Graham Potter, you have... You could try for Zidane, but... but no, dude, no. Come it. on, man. It's, yeah. it's a coach graveyard. He's never going to take the job. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe Conte. I... No, 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 no. Not going to work at United. Espirito Santos is free. No, no. Espirito Santos is free. <laughs> now, now you're just waffling, man. Come on. <laughs> What's blood waffling about? <laughs> um, But yeah, you that it's... It's a bad place to go to right now. It's a bad place to go to. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, we'll see what happens. Football's a funny game. One day you're on top, the next you're at the absolute bottom of the pyramid. And they, they have to ride it out. Manchester United have to ride it out. They have to get worse before they get better. And that's been the footy pod, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we thank you for giving us your attention. Another week running. And we'll, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, guys. Thank you see for you listening. Guys. See ya.